Good evening. Good evening. It's 8 o'clock in Yerushalayim. This is webyeshiva.org. And it's time to begin our regular shiur. Our topic is fun. What to the great rabbis through the generations, from the days from the days of the Mishnah and Gemara right down until today, <coughs> what do the great rabbis have to say about fun? Uh, the specific topic which we just which we just began last week was the issue of uh, secular literature, uh, Shakespeare, the latest thriller. Uh, uh, whatever the literature might be, is there any room to permit, is there any room to approve of the reading of secular literature? Well, we began last week by looking at the text of the Shulchan Aruch. Let me see if I can get this beautifully on the screen, and then we can review it quickly. This is the text which we began to look at last week. This is the text of the Shulchan Aruch. Uh, Shulchan Aruch says, Melitzot Mishalim, secular literature, Sichat Chulim, secular literature, non-Jewish, non-religious literature, Divrei Chishek, love stories, and we saw last time that specifically Sefer Emmanuel is mentioned, and we, we gave references to what that is if you want to look up more about this particular love story. And similarly, books about wars, that's what we would call a history book, right? A history book, a book about wars. Asur lekrotam b'shabbos on Shabbos, you're not allowed to read any of this secular literature. Uh, and, and we said last time that, that, that the, the Hebrew word, lekro, the Hebrew word to read, literally means to read out loud, and that's what the Shulchan Aruch is prohibiting here, reading out loud. The idea of reading silently just by putting your eyes on a text is a modern idea which did not exist until quite recently in human history. <clears throat> Therefore, there's no particular prohibition to read silently, but on Shabbos, one cannot read these documents out loud. The reason one cannot read them on Shabbat or read them out loud on Shabbat is because most documents, most secular documents back in those days were not literary in nature. Most secular documents back in those days were commercial in nature, commercial documents, contracts, uh, bills of sale and things like this. And on Shabbos, you're not supposed to deal with commercial matters. Everyone knows that. And therefore, the rabbis made a prohibition to read secular literature that's primarily commercial documents. Then the Shulchan Aruch adds and says, even during the week, Asur, these things are prohibited to read, because they are frivolous, and during the week you should not engage in frivolous activity. Further, what, what time period, this is, this is the time period of the Mishnah, late antiquity, we're talking about uh, the second, third century, around that period, late antiquity, Hellenistic, Hellenistic Eretz uh, Yisrael. Uh, During the week, you're guilty of frivolity, and you're also guilty of al-tifnu ela-elilim. You're guilty of diverting your minds away from God, and therefore op- uh, opening your mind to idolatry. Anything that takes your mind away from God is bringing you closer to idolatry, prohibited even during the week. And if we're talking about love stories, then there's the additional problem of stimulating the Yetzir Hara. If we're talking about love stories, there's the additional problem of uh, the erotic nature of the literature. Misha Hebron, Misha those who wrote these books, those who copied those books. Back in those days, publishing was done by hand, right? Manuscripts had to be copied by hand. Ein Sarich Lamar Hamad Pisam. Nowadays, when they are printed, everyone is guilty of causing the uh, the public to sin. Yeah, this is uh, this is an equal opportunity objection to anything secular. Women and men are equally blocked according to this. It has nothing to do with any of the specific mitzvot of men, which are somehow different from women. Men and women are all in the same boat here, uh, even women. 
should not read these things. Hagar, the Ramah adds, up until now it's been the text of the Shulchan Aruch, of Yosef Karo, you might think that, uh, uh, you might think that uh, uh, this is only a Sephardic view. The Ramah adds, the Ashkenaz Posik adds, Nirel Daktek, we must be precise here. Hod Asulakrot What the Shulchan Aruch prohibited reading secular literature, Sichat Chulin, what we would call fine literature, Sipure Milchamot, what we would call historiography, history books. The prohibition which the Shulchan Aruch just gave us, the Ramah says, Hainu namely applies Dafka only in Ketuvim Belashan Laz. The prohibition applies only if the books are written in a non-Hebrew language. Lashon laz, if the books are written in English, in, in, in Latin, Greek, Italian, whatever the other language is. But if, aval, but if the Lashon HaKodesh, if the books are written in Hebrew, shari, they are permitted. And the minhag is, the common practice is to be lenient on this matter if the books are written in Hebrew. Now let's see if we can understand what's going on here. The, 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 the Shofen Aruch has the harshest words to say about secular literature, whether it's fine literature, novels, plays, or poetry, Sichat Chulin, or Sifrei Milchama, nonfiction, uh, historical literature, doesn't matter what kind of literature it is, Shofen Aruch has the harshest words against it. The Ramah says, let's be precise, uh, the harsh words are directed against those books which are in any language except in Hebrew. If the books are in Hebrew, all of a sudden it becomes okay. During the week, uh, 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 is it on Shabbos or during the week? Well, at least on Shabbos. If it's going to be permitted on Shabbos, all the more so during the week. Uh, if it's going to be prohibited during the week, all the more so on Shabbos. Shabbos has to be stricter than all week long. So, so the, the Ramah is telling us that on Shabbos, if it's in Hebrew, all of a sudden the objection vanishes, uh, all the more so does the objection vanish during the week. Now, now what, what difference does it make whether you're reading a, a history book in, in English or a Hebrew translation of a history book? What difference does it make? If you're reading Shakespeare in English or a Hebrew translation of Shakespeare, well, actually, it does make a lot of difference because Shakespeare's a lot better in English than, 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 than in any translation. But you know, it's, it's really similar. The difference is not great if it's a good translation. You can read Hamlet, for example, in a Hebrew translation. Nakan Alterman, the great, the great Hebrew poet, translated much of Shakespeare, translated Hamlet into Hebrew, and it's pretty good. I mean, it's pretty good. He, he, he was a good poet, and, uh, and the translation is magnificent. What difference does it make? Why is it all of a sudden acceptable, and the minhag, the practice is to be lenient and, and, and permit reading secular literature as long as in Hebrew? What's the difference? The difference is, yeah, Hebrew is, is Hebrew the same as Lashon HaKodesh? That's, a, that's an important question. I'm always hoping to I was hoping to avoid that question, but since you ask flat out, is Hebrew the same as Lashon HaKodesh? Let's, uh, let's, uh, uh, let's speak for a moment about what Lashon HaKodesh is, what the holy language is. The great rabbis disagree about exactly what Lashon HaKodesh, what the holy language is. According to, to the Rambam, Maimonides, who was as great as Maimonides, he was one of the all-time greats, Maimonides says that the Kedusha, the holiness of the holy language, comes from the fact that there are no obscene words in Hebrew. Uh, if, if you open up uh, uh, Chumash, the Parsha's Kedoshim, anyone who is familiar with Chumash knows that Kedusha is closely linked in the Chumash. Kedusha, holiness, is closely linked to sexual propriety. And therefore, the Rambam says that Hebrew, having no ob obscene words in it, that's what makes it holy. Uh, indeed, uh, this is true to this very day. The Japanese has, uh, has obscene words. I know, I know that. The, uh, uh, to this very day, 
Hebrew as spoken in Israel today, modern Israeli Hebrew, surely Mishnaic Hebrew and medieval Hebrew, and even and even no, 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 Japanese has, and uh, uh, modern Israeli Hebrew is free of obscene words. If the modern Israeli wishes to use an obscene expression, he has no choice or she has no choice but to turn to English or Arabic or Turkish. You have to use a word from some other language if you want to uh, uh, use an, an, an obscene expression while speaking modern Israeli Hebrew. According to Rambam, and the Rambam says this flat out in his commentary on the Mishnah, in the beginning of Tractate Truma, he says, Lashon HaKodesh, the holy language, did not end with the end of Tanakh, but continued growing and evolving. The language of the Mishnah, which is noticeably different in vocabulary and grammar from the language of, uh, of, uh, of Tanakh, the language of the Mishnah is also Lashon HaKodesh. Uh, Rambam says this in the beginning of his commentary on Tractate uh, Truma. Uh, according to the Rambam, the holiness of the holy language depends on the fact that there are no obscene words in it. Ramban Nachmanides disagrees with Rambam. Ramban Nachmanides says, no, no, no. The Kedusha, the holiness of Lashon HaKodesh, the holiness of the holy language, resides in the fact that this was the language that God gave prophecy to the prophets in. The prophecy of the prophets, the Nevoah of the Nevi'im, was in Hebrew, and it's that vocabulary, and it's that grammar, what we call biblical Hebrew, it's that grammar and that vocabulary, which is Lashon HaKodesh, and therefore Mishnaic Hebrew, which has a, a noticeably different vocabulary and noticeably different grammar, according to the Ramban, Mishnaic Hebrew is not Lashon HaKodesh, all the more so. Modern Israeli Hebrew is not Lashon HaKodesh. So the, exactly what is and what is not Lashon HaKodesh is controversial. But uh, indeed, uh, modern Israeli Hebrew, like all historical periods of Hebrew, like all historical periods of just about every language, there are borrowed words from other languages. And as far as obscene vocabulary, words which you cannot use in polite company, as far as obscene vocabulary is concerned, the modern Israeli Hebrew has no native words. You have to use foreign words. You have to use foreign words for that purpose. So, but as you suggested on chat, reading a book in Hebrew is practicing Hebrew. It's helping you learn Hebrew. It's helping you master the Hebrew language. Everyone knows that if you want thorough mastery of a language, it's not enough just to speak the language in the household environment. It's not enough to speak the language just in your place of business. The total vocabulary that you need to use a language in the household and in your place of business is very small compared to the richness of the literary language, the only way to really master a language, whether it's English, Hebrew, or any other language, the only way to master the richness of any particular language is to read the literature in that language. And therefore, since reading a Hebrew book is helping you master the Hebrew language, and the more you read, the more you will master the Hebrew language. Well, well, that, 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 that's good. That's good to learn Hebrew. Why is it good to learn Hebrew? The reason it's good to learn Hebrew is because learning Hebrew is a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah to learn Hebrew. Uh, I'll give you a few simple, straightforward proofs that it is a mitzvah to learn Hebrew. First, it says in the verse, in Kriyachmah, you have to teach them. You have to teach the words of Torah. You have to teach them the words of Torah to your children so that they will speak of them. Now, now, now what does that mean? You want to teach the words of Torah to your children so that your children will speak with them. What does it mean you want your children to speak with the words of Torah? The, the, the Chazal in the Midrash say, matchil ha, ha, matchil ha ben As soon as a child reaches the age 
when he begins to speak, uh, I suppose it includes girls as well, but then, you know, Mishnah only speaks about boys. Uh, when, the, when the child reaches the age, when he's beginning to speak, Mesiach Aviv Imo Kodesh, the father should speak with the child in Hebrew so that the child will learn to speak Hebrew. That's what it says in the verse. You have to teach the words of Torah to your sons so that your sons will be able to speak with those words, will be able to use the words of Torah, will be able to use the Hebrew language to speak with. It's our mitzvah uh, to learn Hebrew. Does this apply to modern Hebrew? According to the Rambam, yes. According to the Rambam, it applies only to Tanakh, to biblical Hebrew. Um, uh, uh, the... Um, it's a mitzvah to learn Hebrew. The Rambam says, you know, you know, it says in Pirkei Avot, in Pirkei Avot, it says in the beginning of the second parak of Pirkei Avot, Olam haverat lekrat mitzvah kala mitzvah chamura. It says in the beginning of the second parak of Pirkei Avot, you should always run to perform a light mitzvah, just as you run to perform a heavy mitzvah. We do not know the relative rewards. For different mitzvahs, and therefore, even though a mitzvah might be a light one, an easy one, maybe the reward is greater than a heavy mitzvah than a hard one to perform. We don't really know what the relative rewards are for different mitzvahs, and therefore, we must be equally engaged in the performance of all mitzvahs. That's what it says in Pirkei Avot. Rambam says in his commentary on that Mishnah, what would be an example of a mitzvah kala? What, are what, what would be an easy mitzvah to do? What would be an example of that? Kegon, for example, simchat yom tov. For example, having a good time on yom tov. That's, that's an easy one to do. We don't know what the relative reward is. Maybe that's one of great reward. We should be firmly engaged in that mitzvah, even though it's such an easy one to do. Kegon, for example, Rambam says, limud lishon hakodesh, learning Hebrew. It's an easy mitzvah to do. It might be hard to complete. It might be difficult to get to mastery of the Hebrew language, but to, to improve your knowledge of Hebrew is easy. Every day you can get a little improvement. Well, that's an example which the Rambam brings of a mitzvah kala, an easy mitzvah. Well, you see, it is a mitzvah to, to learn Hebrew. The Rambam even thinks of it as being an easy mitzvah might not be easy uh, to complete, but at least to take every little step along the way. Every little step is an easy mitzvah. It turns out that learning Hebrew is a mitzvah. So since reading secular literature in Hebrew is of positive value, since reading, whether it's a history book or, or poet, secular poetry or, or a secular novel, since reading it in Hebrew is of positive value, and how do I know it's of positive value? Because it advances your knowledge of Hebrew, and that's a mitzvah. Since there is some positive value in it, it's okay on Shabbos. All the more so, is it okay during the week? Now, now, now this opens up an important question. What about Shakespeare in English? Harry Potter? Oh, Please don't read Harry Potter in Hebrew. I mean, the Hebrew translation of Harry Potter is so bad. Uh, it's so bad. Please, don't, don't, do not pollute your minds with the, 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 the Hebrew translation of Harry Potter. It's just bad. There's, there's, plenty, there's plenty of superb uh, Hebrew literature which you can read. Harry Potter is not it. The... Um, Ah, uh, uh, on Shabbos, it's okay to read because it's of positive value, because it's in Hebrew. What about uh, during the week? During the week, it's surely also acceptable. If it's permitted on Shabbos, all the more so it's permitted during the week to read a Hebrew history book, a, a Hebrew poetry book, a Hebrew translation of Shakespeare. But what about the original English of Shakespeare? Uh, what about the original Greek of Sophocles? Uh, or what about the original Latin of Virgil and so forth and so on? Is there anything positive? Is there any value in that? 
Because if we can find some value in that, some Torah value in that, then all of a sudden it's going to be acceptable during the week as well. Let's see what the Great Post can have to say about this issue. We'll go one step further. Uh, we're looking now at the Rambam. This is the text. Uh, this is the text of the Rambam. I've extracted this text from, uh, uh, from his commentary on the Mishnah. Before we look at his commentary on the Mishnah, let's see what the Mishnah says. And the Mishnah says as follows. Rabbi Shimon Omer. Rabbi Shimon says, it's in Pirkei Avot. Rabbi Shimon says, Kol yamai, all of my days, gadalti ben hachamim. All of my days I grew up amongst the sages. Uh, I grew up in a house where there were many great wise sages. Lo matzati laguf tov, elashtika. The best thing I found, the best mode of conduct, the best way to behave, the best thing to do, uh, I discovered is to keep my mouth shut, to remain quiet. My house was filled. When I was growing up in my father's house, in my parents' house, my house was filled with great wisdom, filled with wise men, filled with sages. There were hachamim in the house all the time. The best thing I could do was to keep my mouth closed and just listen to what the hachamim said. That was the best. Now, on that Mishnah, the Rambam says as follows, Dvarim she'en to'elad bahem, things which have no use, things which are useless, worthless, below nezek, but they don't cause any damage, things which are totally neutral, no positive value, on the other hand, no negative value either. Things which are not going to cause any harm. Things which are not going to injure you. Things which are not dangerous. On the other hand, also not edifying, also not of positive value. Things which are entirely neutral. Kirov divrei hamon, like most of what the people say when they speak, like most of the speech of the masses, the hamon, most of what most people say, it's not good, it's not bad, it's not helpful, it's not injurious, it's just neutral, is, is, is the conversation, the speech of most, uh, most ordinary people. Eich nivnit choma plonit, two guys, uh, two women, walking down the street, speaking with each other, they see a new wall being built. And they discuss among themselves how the wall is being built. They talk about the wall that they see being built uh, by the workers on the side of the street. Well, there's no particular value in that conversation. On the other hand, there's nothing particularly wrong about it. Two people speaking with each other talk about how a certain palace was, was built. Bisipur Yofi Beit Ploni. Uh, two people might speak about how beautiful a certain house is. Oh, uh, nothing bad about the speech. On the other hand, uh, nothing particularly valuable about it either. It's just an innocent conversation. People who talk about other countries, oh, in Italy they eat uh, spaghetti, in China they eat rice, you know, all this is very interesting, but who cares? It's just innocent conversation, uh, uh, not, not, uh, not positive, not negative, nothing particularly wrong about it. And Rabbi Shimon avoided this neutral conversation. Rabbi Shimon, the great rabbi of the Mishnah, Rabbi Shimon wanted his speech to be 100% of positive value. He was not willing to waste breath on anything which was not of great profound importance. Innocent conversation, he wanted nothing to do with it, and therefore he would remain silent. Well, you see, according to the Rambam, uh, there are three categories of language. There are three categories of literature. There are three categories of human activity. One category is bad. 
because it's against Torah and Mitzvahs. Another category is good because it's a performance of Torah and Mitzvahs. But there's also a middle category which is entirely neutral. Uh, uh, nothing particularly prohibited about it. On the other hand, no particular mitzvah either. As far as that middle category is concerned, which is the majority of things that most people say most of the time, as far as that middle category is concerned, which is a vast category, Rabbi Shimon refrained from engaging in anything in the middle category leads us directly to the conclusion that as far as the middle category is concerned, there is no objection as far as Torah is concerned. The middle category is permitted, but uh, if you wish to be, uh, if you wish to strive for greatness in Torah scholarship, you will not waste your time on anything which is of neutral value. Everything you do will be of mitzvah value. Now, that's good. That's good. That's commendable. But there's some distance between what is good and what is commendable and what is required by Torah. As far as Torah is concerned, it is permissible to be engaged in the middle category, the category of things which are not bad, but also not particularly good. As long as there's nothing prohibited in the literature, we don't have to seek out a mitzvah value in the literature. As long as it's neutral, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the, the connection between uh, body and mind is uh, in the thinking of the Rambam is a complicated one. We're not going to go into that now. The uh, um, uh, the Rambam continues as follows. These are still the words of the Rambam. Zehadibur hanimas, speech which is repugnant, speech which is uh, bad, repugnant. Speech which has no benefit to man for his soul. Speech which is, has no Torah values. It's not Torah, it's not mitzvahs, and therefore of no particular positive value. Lo avera, lo mary. But the same speech is entirely neutral. It has no sin in it and no rebellion against God, karov sipur ahamon, like most of the things that most people say out there, b'mesha'ira, mashahaya, masha minhagei melech ploni, people talk about what happened, what didn't happen, what the king did today, what the king did yesterday, b'heichalor in his palace, they talk about why someone died, what his sickness was, how he died. They talk about how someone made his fortune. All kinds of innocent uh, uh, talk out there. All of this innocent talk, which is of no particular value, but also no particular sin, that is what the rabbis are referring to when they talk about sicha betela. Sicha betela, useless talk, that's what they're talking about. Useless talk is talk which is neutral in value, no sin involved in it, but also no mitzvah. Chasidim, hishtadlu ba'atzmam lahaniach, the chasidim, the very pious people, like Rabbi Shimon, tried to stay away from this neutral category. The righteous, the tzaddikim, the chashidim, the very saintly people like Rabbi Shimon tried to stay away from this neutral kind of speech. Ne'amar al-Rav, the Talmidah, Rav Chia, it says in the Gemara that Rav, the great Rav of the Mishnah, and his great Talmud, Rabbi Chia, Rabbi Chia of the Gemara, Lo Sach Sicha Betela Miyamav, those two great rabbis are praised in the Gemara for never having 
devoted any time or energy to the middle neutral ground of conversation. All of their speech, everything which they wrote, everything which they read, everything was Kodesh. They devoted not a moment's time or energy to the neutral, to the neutral category. Well, uh, it follows, therefore, that Shicha Betela, the neutral category, isn't good, isn't bad, is something which, uh, uh, which uh, the masses engage in, but there's nothing particularly wrong with it. If you wish to devote yourself entirely to Kodesh, so by all means, go ahead and do that. That's praiseworthy. But you don't have to. Sometimes you have to talk to people to make them comfortable. At the, at the, uh, 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 Rav Moshe Feinstein, I, I know the following story. I must confess. I must confess my sins. Today, I read the Art Scroll biography of Rav Moshe Feinstein. I know that it's not worth very much, but I must confess that I actually read it myself. And the following story is told in the Art Scroll biography of Ramosha Feinstein. Because once the Rav was walking down the street together with some of his Talmudim, together with some of his disciples, and a, 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 a crazy person accosted, spoke to, to Rav Moshe Feinstein, greeted him, and engaged Rav Moshe Feinstein in conversation. And Rav Moshe Feinstein stood there on the street, engaged in conversation with this crazy person for 20 minutes before going on his way to the base Midrash. And after this 20-minute engagement with, uh, with this crazy conversation, the Talmudim asked him, Rebbe, why did you waste time talking to that fool? Why did you waste time talking to that idiot? That was 20 minutes of wasted conversation. We could have been already in the base of Midrash learning Torah. To which uh, Ramosha Feinstein reported, to which Ramosha Feinstein responded, according to the art scroll anyway, Ramosha Feinstein responded that uh, uh, it says in the Gemara that if you want to do chesed to someone, if you, uh, if you want to help someone financially, someone who needs financial help, you want to help him, well, you can, uh, you can give him a horse to ride upon if that's what the person needs. Sus Lirkovalov, give the poor person a horse uh, to ride upon. That's a chesed, that's a way of helping the poor person. Uh, the Gemara goes on and says, Eved Larut Lifanav. Give the poor person a servant who will run ahead of him and announce to the public that so-and-so is coming. Uh, uh, hire a servant to run in front of the poor person to act as a herald to announce uh, uh, the poor person's arrival wherever he's coming. Now, 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 now Ramosha Feinstein said, I understand why it might be important to give a poor person a horse to ride upon. He might need a horse to get from one place to another. That, that, that makes sense. That might be a great act of chesed. That might be a great act of kindness for a poor, for a poor person. But who needs this idiocy of a, of a, of a servant running in front of you uh, as a herald announcing that, you're, announcing that you're about to arrive somewhere? That's just crazy. From which we conclude that it is a positive Value is a, there's a positive, praiseworthy, Torah commendable act of chesed. It's an act of chesed to give a crazy person what the crazy person wants. And that's why I spent 20 minutes engaged in a foolish conversation with that nut because uh, he, 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 he's a fool and it's an act of chesed to give foolishness to the foolish person who wants it. So I devoted 20 minutes of my time to that as an act of chesed. Well, of course, there is no mitzvah greater than doing chesed. And if that's what the fool needs, 20 minutes of foolish conversation, then that indeed is an act of chesed, that indeed is a mitzvah, and that is indeed something which you should devote your time and energy to. So, of course, of course, uh, 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 most of us, are not spending our time talking to idiots and fools, 
but uh, but we do find that innocent conversation with friends, colleagues, and so forth and so on, innocent conversation is important for our lives, and if we feel that it's important for our lives, that is of positive value as well. Okay, according to the Rambam, there is a neutral area, which is, okay, as long as there's no specific sin involved in reading Shakespeare or Sophocles or the latest thriller uh, off, the, uh, off the, uh, the bestseller list, as long as there's no particular sin involved, it's surely okay. The only machlokas is whether or not you can do it on Shabbos. And as far as Shabbos is concerned, silent reading is surely preferable to reading out loud. Now, 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 now remember, of course, uh, the, the, the value of Shakespeare is great. Uh, the value of Sophocles is great. Uh, what about thrillers, uh, page turners? They have those in your country. Uh, in Israel, you can buy these books. They're called bestsellers, and uh, they engage you. So you just keep turning the pages. You want to get to the end. It's a, it's a thriller. It makes your palms sweat. Uh, uh, I suppose they have such in your country as well. If you think about it for a moment, you will realize that this genre, this kind of literature, and it is indeed literature, this kind of literature divides into two categories. Uh, there, I, I do not for a moment claim that it's easy to write a thriller. I know it's very, diff I know it's very difficult to write a thriller, but uh, among the thrillers, there are those which are easier to write and those which are more difficult to write. Uh, among the easier category, none of them is really easy, but among the easier category uh, of thriller, easier to write, uh, are the thrillers which engage your interest and capture your attention with a mystery that has to be solved. Typically, uh, typically the whole story, the whole book, revolves around one big mystery, and the reader is engaged in that mystery and wants to find out what the what, what the solution is. You have to get to the end of the book to get the uh, to, to find the solution to the mystery. In addition. There are many small mysteries along the way which have to be solved, and each small mystery along the way keeps you engaged a little bit while you're moving towards the major engagement to find the solution to the big mystery at the end of the book. These thrillers are by far the most common form. Statistically, most thrillers fall into this category, and although they're not easy to write, they're relatively easier than the other category of thriller. The other, kind of third, the, other, the other category of thriller, which is statistically less common and more difficult to write, is a thriller where there are not mysteries uh, throughout the story, surely not one big mystery throughout the story. The other kind of thriller is a thriller where the characters must make decisions. And one, because the reader becomes engaged, wondering what is the decision that the character in the story is going to make. Think of Pride and Prejudice. Uh, Pride and Prejudice is also a thriller, also a page turner. But what keeps you engaged is what is he, what is Darcy going to decide to do? Uh, the, 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 that the character must make a big decision. Uh, around which the whole book revolves, and many small decisions have to be made along the way. It, 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 it's an engagement in what will the character decide that keeps the reader motivated and keeps the reader turning pages. This is a higher level of, uh, of thriller. This is a thriller which is, which is more difficult to write, and there are fewer of them out there. But surely uh, all of these fall into the category of neutral literature, according to the Rambam, uh, all week long. Uh, permitted on Shabbos, better to read silently. Uh, what about reading uh, children's books to your children or grandchildren out loud on Shabbos? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I know that uh, I, I make an effort not to read Hebrew. I read, I read children's books to my children and grandchildren in any language except Hebrew. Um, uh, since, uh, since my children and grandchildren live in Israel, I know that they're going to master the Hebrew language. It's other languages I want them to master. And therefore, of course, I'll read to them. I read, I read to my children and grandchildren books in other languages. 
uh, what about on Shabbos? Well, well, of course, in choosing a children's book, you want to make sure that you're choosing a good book to read to your children or grandchildren, or any children. You want to choose a good book. And the, the, simple rule, the simple rule to bear in mind is that any children's book which is worth reading once is worth reading a hundred times. If the book cannot be read a hundred times, two hundred times, then it's not worth reading the first time either. Uh, uh, well, there's, there's plenty, there's plenty of good, good uh, children's literature out there. During the week, obviously no problem. Uh, hard to uh, hard to imagine. I can't even begin to imagine what the sin would be in uh, in, in children's literature. Suppose you think long enough, you could dream something up. But uh, on Shabbos, what about reading out loud? Well, well, uh, uh, according to the to the Shulchan Aruch, according to the Shulchan Aruch, which we saw two screens ago, no, we should not read out loud, uh, uh, even children's literature to children. Uh, that's a no-no, according to the Shulchan Aruch. We are going to see other opinions according to the Shulchan Aruch. Now, remember, of course, that in those days. There was no such thing as children's literature. The children's literature, rather like children's clothing, is a fairly recent development in uh, in human history. Uh, until quite recently, children were dressed exactly like grown-ups were dressed, just in smaller versions of grown-up clothing. Uh, today, we dress our children in styles that grown-ups would not wear. There's distinctive children's dress nowadays, very different from grown-up, and indeed, and indeed, the styles of children's clothing uh, change before our very eyes from generation to generation. I know my children uh, never went to sleep in these in these contraptions, which they call uh, sleeping bags for children. And my grandchildren go to sleep in these these cleverly designed uh, sleeping bags for children to sleep in. The, uh, the, the designs of children's clothes are changing before our very eyes. But until quite recently, there was no such thing as a unique design of children's clothes. Children were just dressed in miniature versions of grown-up clothing. And the same thing was true about literature until quite recently. Until quite recently, there was no such thing as children's literature. Uh, uh, children uh, were read exactly the same books uh, that grown-ups read. Uh, no one had the idea. The idea had not yet come into being for children's literature. But now we have children's literature. That's and that, 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 that's good. That's good. Let, let, let's see. Let's gather together a few more opinions. We know the Rambam's opinion: the middle ground is permitted. Let's get another opinion. We have now Rabbeinu Yonah. Rabbeinu Yonah wrote the Sefer, you're a lot of swarm. Uh, Rabbeinu Yonah, we're about to quote from his Sefer, Sha'are Tshuva. And uh, he was surely not only one of the great postcom of the Middle Ages, but he was also the leading authority in Musa literature, ethical literature in the Middle Ages. And the quotation we're about to quote from the quotation we're about to bring is uh, from, from his, his major work of Musa, his major work on morality, Shari Tshuva. These are his words. Someone who sets himself up, someone who sets herself up to always, permanently, always be engaged in this middle category of useless chatter, that's all he or she does all the time, Kederach Yoshve Karnos, just like those people who sit in the corners, you know, they just sit in the cafes and have, have, have useless conversation day in and day out, those people Shtaim Ra'ot there are two things wrong with people who devote themselves entirely to useless conversation, frivolous conversation. Achat, one of the things which is wrong with them, ki the more you engage in frivolous activity, therefore the less in Torah and mitzvahs, the more you emphasize frivolous activity, 
the closer you are coming to hate, to a sin. True, uh, there's nothing sinful about the middle category, but the middle category is a buffer, a neutral zone between mitzvah and sin. And if you move entirely, you move your whole life entirely into the middle category and you don't do anything of a Kodesh nature, well, you're abandoning Kodesh, moving very close to sin, and you're probably going to end up in the sinful category. So, so uh, people who are people who devote their lives to the middle category, that's not good. Shanit, the second thing which is wrong to devoting your life entirely to the middle category, kihu batel you're never going to be able to do anything of a kodesh nature because you're devoting your life entirely to the middle category. Okay, it, it turns out that according to Rabbeinu Yona, what is wrong with the middle category is if it consumes your entire life. If all you read are the latest thrillers on the bestseller list, if that's all you read and you never pick up a, 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 a safer Kodesh, you never study Chumash, you never study Rashi, you never study anything of the Kedusha nature, if all you read, 100%, are the latest thrillers and the bestseller list, that's going to, number one, bring you closer to sin because you are distancing yourself from Torah and mitzvahs. And you're never going to have an opportunity to do positive things. You, 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 should, you should at least devote some of your time to Torah and mitzvahs, and you're not going to be doing that. Yesh b'tavar hazeh darchei mavet. This is deathly. This is going to destroy your soul. This is going to kill your soul. How is it possible not to remember and not to concentrate at least a little bit on Kodesh things in the course of, of time? What if you're a professional writer? What if you're a professional anything? What if you're a, what if you're a plumber? What if, you're a, what if you are a professional accountant? Of course, of course, whatever your livelihood is, whatever your parnasai is, whether it's writing fiction or plumbing or accountancy, whatever your parnasa is, of course that's the middle category. Of course that's the middle category, but there's something positive about it if it's for your livelihood. As the Ramah teaches us, not in the passage which we saw earlier today, but the Ramah writes elsewhere that, that, that engaging in parnasa, the time and energy you put into livelihood counts as mitzvah time. Supporting yourself and your family, that's a mitzvah, and therefore the time and energy you put into supporting yourself and your family, your parnasah, livelihood, that's called mitzvah time. And therefore, if it doesn't matter whether we're talking about a, a professional uh, uh, writer, novelist, uh, or, uh, or a plumber or an accountant, the, uh, the time and energy devoted to Parnassah is of mitzvah value, assuming, of course, that you're a Parnassah, assuming that your source of livelihood is a legal one, if what you are doing is making a livelihood by uh, uh, selling trafe foods to the Jews or, or, or gambling or drugs or prostitution or whatever, you know, by assuming that you're that your source of livelihood is a, a permitted one and you're not sinning in your, in your livelihood, then, then that's of mitzvah value. Now, uh, uh, someone who devotes himself entirely to the best, uh, bestseller list is, is uh, canceling his or her engagement in the Kodesh, and that's obviously not good. Uh, during those moments, during those moments when you are engaged in secular literature, during those same moments, you could have been engaged in Kodesh, and therefore, if you have no engagement at all in Kodesh, 100% in secular, that's not good. If you have at least some fixed times that you engage in Torah and mitzvahs, you have a, a regular shiur in Torah that you attend. 
you have a, a, a regular time during the day when you're on the train going to work, when you're on the bus going to work, that you have a fixed time of half an hour where you open up a safer and you learn Torah. If you have some fixed times when you are engaged in Torah, that's good during a certain time when you're not working for your livelihood. You're, you're in the bus, you're in the train, going to work, coming back from work. You're not actually, if you're engaged in livelihoods, that's a mitzvah by itself. But when you're not actually engaged in livelihood, you're just traveling back and forth, or there's no customer in the shop at the moment. There's no customer in the shop at the moment, and, and you can sit there and either read the bestseller or read something of a Kodesh nature. Well, if you have fixed times when you're going to be doing Kodesh, someone who devotes no time to Torah and mitzvahs, and 100% of his downtime, she devotes 100% of her, of her, of her free time to, to frivolous secular literature, that's a rejection of Torah and mitzvahs, and that's no good. You need, you need everyone needs, everyone must have some engagement in Torah and mitzvahs, and if you have that, then you're not 100% engaged in the secular, and all is well. The person who is 100% engaged in the secular, and no engagement in Torah, that's what he's against. So the idea of the Rambam, who uh, had uh, uh, no particular objection to the middle category uh, and pointed out that only the Hasidim, only the very pious people, avoid the middle category as much as they can, is very similar to the position of Rabbeinu Yana, except that Rabbeinu Yana is a little bit stricter. Rabbeinu Yana says, if you put 100% of your free time into the secular, that's wrong. Everyone needs some engagement with Kodesh. Now, although the Rambam did not say that, I imagine he would agree, but uh, he didn't actually say it. But uh, there's probably no disagreements here. Let us finish with the words of Rabbeinu Yonah. Novad Asher Avad Tova Harbe, someone who engages exclusively in the secular with no engagement in Torah has lost the great value has lost the great spiritual value of Torah. He will end up suffering greatly because he is not devoted any time or energy, or she is not devoted any time or energy to Torah and mitzvahs. You'll end up destroying your soul that way. Just as it says in the Gemara, what does it mean? when the Torah speaks about disrespecting the words of God, it's talking about someone who has no engagement in Torah at all. Someone who has no engagement in Torah at all. All he reads, all she reads are the bestsellers. All he talks about, all she talks about all day long is frivolous conversation with friends with no time set aside for Torah and mitzvahs. That is called disrespecting God. Moshe of Leitzim lo yeshev, you're not allowed to join the frivolous people in their frivolity. Uh, uh, the same verse in the book of Psalms says, after the verse tells us you're not allowed to engage in frivolity, the same verse continues, ki im Hashem what you're supposed to be doing is being engaged with Torah. Lamarata, the conclusion is that frivolity is defined as the absence of Torah. Wherever there is no Torah, that activity is called frivolous. And if you are exclusively and 100% engaged in frivolity, that's wrong. Someone who devotes not a moment to Torah and mitzvahs, uh, is going to end up destroying his soul and uh, will have a bad end. Therefore, 
If you want to be connected with God, you need regular engagement in Torah and mitzvahs. Well, it turns out that according to Rabbeinu Yonah, the greatest of the Baalei Musa, the greatest of the moralists in the Middle Ages among the Rishonim, uh, there's no particular uh, uh, problem, there's no particular objection to frivolity, to the middle category, as long as it does not consume you entirely. If you allow the middle category to consume you entirely, then you are in spiritual trouble. You need an anchor. You need some connection, some regular connection with Torah and Mitzvahs. That's the position of Rabbeinu Yonah. Now, we've seen the great medieval authorities, the great Rishonim, Rambam, and Rabbeinu Yonah, the two greatest thinkers on this subject from the Rishonim. Let's take a look at what the modern Hoskin have to say. This is, this is a text of the Isuzama Melzer. The Isuzama Melzer was one of the great Russia Yeshiva in Europe. He came to Eretz Israel, and back in the early days of the Yishuv, back in the early days of the Jewish settlement in, uh, in Yerushalayim, he became the greatest of the Russia Yeshiva here in Eretz Israel. He wrote as follows. We must be precise. We must be precise in understanding what the Rambam taught us. The Rambam taught us that there's a special halacha, a special din, a special law, the melech, regarding kings. When the Rambam comes to speak about the halachas of kings, he tells us the following special halacha that applies to kings and kings only. Uh, the verse in the Torah demands that the king be perpetually engaged in Torah. The words of the Chumash are called Yemei Chayav. The king must carry a safer Torah with him wherever he goes. Uh, the, the king, the Davra Melech, all the Jewish kings were required to have a small, safer Torah that they could carry with them wherever they go so they could constantly be <coughs> open it up and study Torah. There's a special din of the king that he must be constantly engaged in Torah and mitzvahs. After all, the king He's the king, he's the leader of the people, he's the most important, uh, he's the most important uh, person, and, uh, and if he's going to lead the people, if he's going to guide the people in the way of Torah, he, he himself must be entirely engaged in the way of Torah. The king has a special obligation to be engaged in Torah much more than ordinary citizens. This is hard to understand. Why did the Rambam say that the king has to be engaged in Torah all the time through his whole life? When the Rambam talks about uh, the, the halachas of learning Torah, the Rambam says, The Rambam says, how, how much the ordinary citizens have to learn Torah? Until the day you die. As it says in the Torah, it says in the Torah, ordinary citizens have to learn Torah every day as well. What's the difference between an ordinary citizen, an ordinary Jew, and the king? Uh, ordinary Jews also have to learn Torah every day. So what's so special about the king saying he has to learn Torah every day? The answer, according to Rabbi Zalman Meltzer, is, it would seem, the Khan Anu Danim the Isra Melech Lishtot the king is not allowed to enjoy himself taking any time out for secular literature. The king has great responsibility on his shoulders, and he is not allowed to spend any time at all with secular literature. That's the king. Ordinary people, on the other hand, can take time out from their mitzvah activities for secular literature. So with this, we reach the end of our hour. We're going to uh, continue with this next week in Yetz Hashem and see what the great modern post can have to say 
about reading secular literature, and then we will move into games, uh, chess, and uh, uh, and uh, football, and so forth and so on. That will come after literature. Until then, I wish you a good week, and eventually a Shabbat Shalom, and look forward to seeing you all again next week. Until then, Shalom, Shalom.